Welcome to One Chapel. We're a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area. Our vision is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's a place to connect, grow, and serve the communities where we live. You can learn more about One Chapel and how to get involved at onechapel.com. And now, here's this week's message. It's a low-grade fear, right? Like, like an edginess, a dread. It's um, a cold wind that kind of won't stop howling. It's um, not so much a, a storm as the certainty that a storm is coming, <laughs> always coming. Sundays are just an interlude. You can't relax. You, you can't like let your garden out. All peace is temporary, short-term. It's not the sight of a grisly but the suspicion of one or two or ten. Behind every tree, beyond every turn, inevitable, it's just a matter of time until the grizzly leaps out of the shadows and bears its fangs and gobbles you up along with your family and your friends and your bank account and your pets and your country. There's trouble out there so you don't sleep well. You don't laugh often. You don't enjoy the sun. You don't whistle while you walk. And when others do, you kind of give them that look. Do you know that look? Like that, are you that naive look? You may even give them a word. You say, haven't you read the news or heard the reports or seen the studies? Airplanes fall out of the sky. Bull markets go bare. Terrorists terrorize. Good people turn bad. The other shoe will drop. Fine print will be found. Misfortune lurks out there. It's just a matter of time. Anxiety is a meteor shower of what ifs. What if I don't close the sale? What if we don't get the bonus? What if we can't afford braces for the kids? What if my kids have crooked teeth? What if crooked teeth keep them from having friends or a career or a spouse? What if they end up homeless and hungry and holding a cardboard sign that reads, my parents couldn't afford braces for me? (laughs) Anxiety is trepidation. It's suspicion, an apprehension, life in a minor key with major concerns, perpetually on the pirate ship's plank, You're part Chicken Little and part Eeyore. The sky is falling, but it's falling disproportionately on you. As a result, you are anxious. A free-floating sense of dread hovers over you. A a coal across your heart. A a nebulous hunch about things that might happen sometime in the future. Anxiety and fear are cousins, but they are not twins. Fear sees a threat. Anxiety imagines one. Fear screams, get out. Anxiety ponders, what if? What if? Anxiety is the tendency to live in the worry of the future instead of the reality of the present. 
This is the opening monologue from a fantastic book called Anxious for Nothing by Max Licato. And it's a really good book that I want to recommend to you. Um, and I, I'm, I'm going to read a little bit out of it. I'm going I'm to speak to you a little bit out of this, these ideas today. But we're launching this series called Overwhelmed. And it's hard to get excited about a series called Overwhelmed. It's been very overwhelming. <laughs> and uh, and the, the topic is, is really important. And it came out of an Easter survey that we do every year where you kind of took the lead as you fill out the survey and talk about, you say, what, what topics do you want to talk about? We ask you that. We gave you a bunch of topics. And within the top three, two of the top three were mental health and stress. And so we're going to talk about these ideas. We're going to talk about anxiety and depression and stress and mental health. We'll, we'll actually have a mental health expert who joins us one Sunday and, and talk from a professional perspective. Um, we're, we're even going to talk about the dark night of the soul and what that means to us. And so uh, we're going to do things like specific targeted groups for these subjects. And you can get your hand out here. These are the message notes, and they look a little different today than they normally do. They almost look like a church bulletin. Is that what that is? Yeah, it's kind of like we don't know much about that around here, but, but, uh, but it looks like a church bulletin. And on the back, you'll see groups, right, that are specific towards this subject. And then we're encouraging all groups. If you, if you have the opportunity, there's discussion questions that are located at onechapel.com slash overwhelmed. You can, you can get those each week if you want to jump in on this series with us. We just think we should have a church conversation about these kinds of things. And so there's, of course, resources for counseling, um, resources for crisis and, and suicide, because we know that what we're touching and what we're talking about can, can create some responses some explosive feelings about what's been going on inside of us. And we want to make sure you have what you need. Some of these are local and right here at One Chapel, Lori Catone and Denise Cleveland, others are national hotlines and that kind of thing. But it's important that you understand we're going to talk about a, a subject that's so big. Each of the subjects we're going to talk about could have a 12-week series in and of themselves. And so we're just going to touch these things, but, but there's, a, there's a sense at which we live in a culture that is overrun with anxiety, overrun with depression and stressed out. Now, I realize we won't, we won't be able to resolve all the issues, all the struggles in these areas in a few short weeks. That's not how this works. But perhaps we will open the door to be a safe place in a group in a group of friends, connecting in a way that where you, people know your struggles and we remove the stigma of some of these issues. And there's no shame in talking about these things and how important it is to share your life with others, especially if you're wrestling these things to the ground. Because if the good news of Jesus is anything, it is an invitation to be fully known and fully loved by the Savior and by his followers. That's who we are. Now, please understand I'm not an expert on any of these subjects, but I am a pastor, and I've been a pastor for a long time, 
And I've read a lot of research and I've, and I've counseled thousands of people who are wrestling with these things. And I believe that the scriptures really can help us to deal with anything at any time in any culture. And that's an important idea because chances are you or someone you know seriously struggles with anxiety. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, anxiety disorders are reaching epidemic proportions. In a given year, nearly 50 million Americans will feel the effects of a panic attack. Phobias or other anxiety disorders. Our chests will tighten. There's a, uh, we'll feel dizzy and lightheaded. We'll fear crowds and we'll avoid people. According to Edmund J. Bourne, author of the Anxiety and Phobia Workbook, anxiety disorders in the U.S. are the number one mental health problem among women and are second only to alcohol and drug abuse among men. Taylor Clark, the author of Nerve, it's a book, the subtitle is Poise Under Pressure, Serenity Under Stress, and the Brave New Science of Fear and Cool. He wrote an article in Slate magazine. He said, the United States is now the most anxious nation in the world. Congratulations, everybody. You win. <laughs> Researchers speculate that the Western world's environment and social order have changed more in the last 30 years than they have in the previous 300 years. We are in a period of radical change. Technology, social media, our frenetic pace of work and play. It's the way that sort of you're driving down 290 or Mopac or not 35. You never speed on, on 35. It's always slow, but, but you're, 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 you're driving and, and another person's coming at you at 70 miles an hour. And, and, and the, you're, you're not just driving these roads. You're texting while you drive and sending emails and drinking your coffee and, and trying to follow the Google Maps thing. That should make you anxious. Stop doing that. Many believe we've lost just, we just lost all the natural and healthy coping mechanisms that historically we've been able to tap into. Instead of an agricultural society where a slower pace of seed time and harvest exists, we live in a technological society where the frenzied pace of information that passes through your brain and through your, your, your workplace is just dizzying. We, instead of our hands getting dirty in the ground, our minds are muddied by massive marketing and instant messages. Instead of living off the land, we live off the likes of our social media. This is part of the struggle that we're living in. We have a problem with anxiety and the causes are numerous. Think of it, things like consumer anxiety, being caused by decision fatigue because there's so many options. And the marketing, thousands of brands are marketed to you every single day. And let's be honest, do we really need 25 kinds of mustard? 40 kinds of toilet paper, come on. You gotta find a way to, to keep it from being overwhelming. Career anxiety is the challenge of the changing landscape of our economic engines and options, right? It can be tough to find a job right now. Many living, live in fear of keeping their job because the competition is fierce. The pace of our work can be soul crushing, can be overwhelming. Comparison anxiety 
is the age-old idea of keeping up with the Joneses. Only the difference in our day is the Joneses are flaunting it over Facebook and Instagram and over every social media platform how great their lives are. Of course, we understand that behind those posts are typically overwhelmed people trying to make sense of it all. Connection anxiety is a, the sad reality that loneliness is an epidemic in our country, even as we, we have more options for connectivity. We, all we want is community, and we desperately desire it, but we don't always know how to get it, or we're not willing to pay the price to reach out to somebody else to create it. People are starving for meaningful relationships, and often it creates anxiety as we suffer in silence. Contentment anxiety is a, just a general overall sense of wanting more. I can't, I can't be content with what I have. And this is a very real thing. We feel trapped because we, we spend all that we earn and we don't live within our means. We're in, dead up to our eyeballs and, and minimalism and tiny house living are like an attempt to deal with this, but then FOMO kicks in. You think you might be missing out on something. All of these ideas would fall under the category of generalized anxiety disorder that every one of us find ourselves wrestling with these issues. It affects all of us. And it's an actual medical diagnosis. According to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual used by physicians and other mental health professionals, anxiety disorders have these three common components. Ready? Extreme fear and dread, even when there's no real danger. Right? Something comes on you. Emotional distress that interferes with daily life just trying to get through the day, a tendency to avoid situations that bring on anxiety, avoidance. But then there are more serious anxiety disorders, panic disorder, social phobia, specific phobias of all kinds, obsessive compulsive disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, eating disorders, anxiety disorders with depression, that sh they share a lot of characteristics. We live in a culture of anxiety and none of us are immune. And it's essential that I pause here in this talk and say that therapy and counseling and medication from a medical professional are often incredibly helpful and have been a part of the solution for many who are struggling to keep their anxious thoughts from taking over their life. There is no shame in really relying on a medical health professional to help you find a solution. My daughter Grace is one of those people. I asked her if I could share this story. I asked her a few weeks ago and she prayed about it and said yes. Because we have known Grace since second grade as kind of a shy person, just really shy, and she would cry before she goes to school, and we'd be like, oh, get over it. <laughs> You're, you know, like, I'd make Amy do it, because I couldn't do it to my daughter. It's like, I got four boys and one girl. I'm not doing that. But <laughs> Amy, you got to take her to school. But she, she was overwhelmed with social situations all through school and working through it. We just thought, she's just shy. She'll kind of grow out of it. Well, she didn't grow out of it. She started going to high school, and High school was all kinds of social situations that ended up paralyzing her. 
at different points along the way. And she'd find herself in the car, in the parking lot, unable to go in on a day of school. We wrestled with all kinds of stuff. I mean, we, we, did, we did diet, we did, we did uh, counseling, we did, I mean, we did, we did all the things. And we, we did our best, and she did her best, and she worked. And, and, and through high school, she, she really wrestled with it. And, the, and we, she, she, went out, she made great decisions. Like, that's the thing. I'm so proud of her. She kept making great decisions. But it became clear throughout this high school experience and then into college that we're dealing with something a little bit out of outside of our ability to figure out. So we went to a, a, a medical professional who, who helped with a medical option, with a, with a, with a, a medicine option, and as we, as we did, like just a little tiny dose, and then we had to adjust it a few times over several months, and then suddenly, there she was. There's grace. There's the person we've been trying to help come out. And it was an incredible, incredible thing to watch that happen. It was so hard. It was so challenging. And yet there was this moment where we did something we didn't know that we'd ever do. I want to clarify here, there's, it's so easy for people to be full of guilt in a talk like this. So easy for us to suffer condemnation or some kind of shame because we wrestle with these things in our souls. I don't want you to live like that. I don't want you to think like that in this series. I I want the goal of our talks together to be hope and freedom as we look to the scriptures and to God for his leadership in what we're facing. I don't want condemnation to take hold in any way. Sometimes we might think, as Christians, that we should be exempt from a life of worry. Like, we're supposed to be people of peace. But when we don't seem to find it, we assume the problem lies within us. And then we feel guilty. And then that makes us anxious. And you see the problem. We can fall into a downward spiral of worry, guilt, worry, guilt, worry, guilt, and it's enough to make a person anxious. That's why you might wonder... If the Apostle Paul was out of touch with reality when he wrote, be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious about anything. Now, I would have been okay with be anxious for less. <laughs> I, I would have been okay with uh, maybe, maybe that would have been sufficient for me. Maybe, uh, maybe I, could, I could go to be anxious only on Tuesdays or maybe when... Uh, Uh, severe circumstances warrant it. But this is the interesting thing. Paul doesn't seem to give us much leeway here and be anxious for nothing, like like, like zero, nada, like never? Well, not exactly. Because this isn't exactly what he meant because as you peel back the layers of the meaning in this passage, he wrote the phrase in the present active tense, which implies an ongoing state. An ongoing state. It's a life of perpetual anxiety that Paul was trying to address. The parsley paraphrase (laughs) would read, don't allow anything in your life to cause you to be in a perpetual state of worry, angst, or emotional distress. 
Max Lucado says it this way, the presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. You see, anxiety is not a sin. It's not a sin. It's an emotion. So don't be anxious about being anxious. Anxiety can, however, lead you into sinful behavior. When we numb our fears with a six-pack or with our favorite food binge or when we unleash our anger with hurtful words or emotional outbursts, when we fill the hearts of others with fear and foolishness, we are sinning. We're doing the wrong thing. We're coping in the wrong way. If toxic anxiety leads you to abandon your spouse or neglect your kids or break covenants or break hearts, Take heed to the words of Jesus in Luke 21, 34. It says, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. Is your heart weighed down today with worry? I want us to work through this passage today. This is a profound series of verses, and I think it belongs in the hall of fame of verses like Psalm 23 or, or like John 3.16 or the Lord's Prayer. And if you would, I'd like you to read it aloud with me together. I think it's in your message notes, and it'll be on the screen. Philippians 4, 6 through 8. Come on, read it with me out loud. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things." I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul says there. He says, think about such things. You see, Jesus is promising. There's a, there's a peace that Paul is echoing here. From John 14, 27, when Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. See, Jesus is promising a peace for whatever is in your troubled heart, a peace that is beyond what the world can give and a peace that will not be taken away. Now, there are a whole bunch of you that, that understand you've been wrestling this to the ground for a long time, and there's a bunch of things that are available to you in our current culture, things that we understand, things that we know in dealing with anxiety, healthy diet, regular exercise, consistent prioritizing and scheduling, like daily Bible reading. I don't know if you've ever heard about that. It's really good. But here I believe Paul is giving us in this passage three practices, three practices for peace. And I want us to wrestle them to the ground in our own lives. Number one, talk to God about everything. Talk to God about everything. There's a thing here that we tend to only talk to God about the things we want to talk about. This verse implies, it indicates you talk to him about everything because he loves the sound of your voice. He loves the sound of your voice. Listen, from Adam and Eve in the garden who called out to God, to, to Moses and the prophets, to Jesus on the cross, God listens. In fact, when Adam and Eve stopped speaking to me, he went and looked for him. 
God listens when we speak to him and he speaks back. Now I've got five kids and these five kids, as they grew up, there's nothing better than the sound of a little kid's voice. Do you know what I mean? It's like that age right down there, but like two, three, four, five, like it was so beautiful. Our last child, Owen, when he was this little, he had this cute little raspy voice with just a slight speech impediment (laughs) that I didn't want to fix, right? Because it was so cute. It was so awesome. And we'd make him talk all the time and, and we just loved it. Like there was something that was so cute. And now later, as they grow up, they, they, their voices don't retain that cuteness. <laughs> Especially the whining and all that. Complaining is terrible. We don't necessarily love that. But here's my point. When we're in trouble, when we're struggling, God wants to hear from you. Now, as our kids grew up, what happens is every, every child, every kid, every teenager goes through a phase when, like, the parents are wondering what is going on in their lives. They're not talking. It's kind of like there's something going on inside that you know, but they're not free to, as free to talk as they used to be as a child. And so uh, each child that we had, there was a period of time where they would come to a moment where they wanted to talk. We were always ready, always willing, always available. Sometimes we'd lean in, sometimes we'd lean out. By the way, that's the, <laughs> that's the art form, parents. <laughs> Don't always lean in, lean in, lean in, press, push, push, make stuff. No, sometimes you got to lean out. And so we'd lean in, we'd lean out, we'd, we'd try to just be available. And there was a time, and every one of our teenagers, they'd end up coming in from out, being out with their friends, and they would make their way back to our bedroom, and they'd kneel down at the foot of the bed, or they'd lay on the bed with us and start talking. Only now, I am so tired. 11 o'clock at night is not the time to start a conversation. (laughs) But here's the point. Amy and I loved it when they would do that. And we stayed awake mostly. And, 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 And we loved the sound of their voice, especially if they were troubled. Especially if they were troubled. You gotta settle that that's true with you and God. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus, you choose to follow him, you've got to know you are loved, chosen, embraced as a son or a daughter. You have received his spirit inside of you and have been adopted into a family. He, and he's, he's a great dad and he loves to hear your voice. I can prove it in Romans 8, 15 through 17. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. You're a child and by him, by this spirit, by God's spirit that lives inside of you, you cry out, Abba, Father. Abba is a very intimate term. It means kind of papa or daddy. It's so intimate. God loves to hear your voice. And here's the point. Like the next few verses are about how we're God's kids and we have an inheritance. And and he's got all this stuff that he wants to share with you. But here's the point. Anxiety decreases as understanding of our heavenly father increases. As you understand who God really is for you, 
When you understand that God loves you without limits, that there's an intimate father who cares deeply for you, that he's preparing an inheritance for you, that he's not mad at you or tired of you or frustrated with you. He has some great things in mind for you, and he is going to allow you to go through some things where you have to develop perseverance. That's just part of being a parent. But listen, you got to settle that he loves you deeply. He wants to hear all about it. He wants to hear all about everything, not just the, the anxious parts. He wants to hear about the good parts too. Haven't you ever noticed when things are going bad, that's kind of, sometimes that's when you start talking to him. And when things are going good, you're like, I got this. <laughs> like that's, that, that's bad. That's what creates the, the, the cliff, right? You're going to go, no, he wants to talk about everything. And you start talking to God about everything, your anxiety will listen because this is such a good practice for you. And this practice is called something. <laughs> I know it's crazy. It's called prayer. And I'm not talking about thinking your prayers. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm just going to think through my prayers. I'm going to think through the stuff that I'm worried about, or I'm going to think. The practice I want you to, to encourage you to engage in, in this message, is speaking out to God, out loud. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to God in prayer and in worship. There's a, there's a pouring out that we've got to discover that has to do with getting what's in here out here. By the way, you do that with a good friend sometimes. This thing's going around, oh, oh, it's going on, and you can't make sense of it. Finally, you sit down and talk with somebody, you get it from in here to out here, and you're like, oh, of course. This is how that works. The same thing can happen with God. He's your best friend. He's a friend who is closer than a brother. And there's something here that you can't keep it all bottled up in your mind because your mind is the battlefield and where your thoughts war against each other. Don't let the committee inside your head keep doing all the talking because prayer is getting your mind and your mouth moving in the same direction. And when you use your mouth, you have to, your mind kind of gets in gear. If you're just trying to think, that's, you're just battling. Get your mouth moving with your mind in the same direction you do this, you'll have a chance to quiet your anxious thoughts. You'll start to focus your attention on God and his love and grace for you. You'll begin to develop a practice of confession, of speaking out in faith what you believe and having a conversation with God that'll settle your heart and quiet your mind. The second practice for peace is thank God in every circumstance because his goodness always prevails. Now listen to me. Gratitude is a powerful ally in overcoming anxiety because gratitude acknowledges that God really is in charge because gratitude reinforces God's, you can write this to the side of your notes, it reinforces God's creative sovereignty. One of my favorite ideas is I think God's creative sovereignty works this way, is that he has an infinite number of responses to every single decision you ever make or the decisions of the other seven billion people on this planet. He has an infinite number of responses to every one of those decisions, every one of those choices, which is why he has this creative sovereignty to work through even the bad things and the terrible things and the broken things and, and, and these bad decisions that you make and he wants to pull you out of them. But see, he's, he's got an infinite number of responses because he's 
a creative and sovereign savior. And once you settle that, that's a big deal. And it means you can thank God in those moments. I'm not, now, now, I'm not thanking God. I'm not talking about thanking God for everything. That would be weird. That would be ridiculous. Why would we thank God for deadly hurricanes or murders or vile abuses? Those are the results of the broken world we live in and that we inhabit and the sinfulness in our humanity. And yet God will often reveal himself in those very moments as well. He meets us in our greatest moment of need in those horrific circumstances. Sometimes you wonder if he's there, but, but there's, a, there's a sense at which God desires to be near the broken hearted. That's what Psalm 34 says. He wants to bring his goodness and healing. What Paul is talking about here is thanking God in every circumstance. Not, not thanking God for everything, but thanking God in everything. Like thanking him in the middle of it because you know that God is powerful enough to work through whatever is happening to you. Whatever's going on in your life, every aspect. Because when you do that, you begin to focus on the fact that God is able and willing to produce good in your life, in your situation, even though it seems really bad. Because his creative sovereignty can produce good wherever evil is present. And once you believe that, things change. You can thank him in every circumstance. He's the, one who, he's the only one who can bring good things out of evil things. That's what makes him God. Romans 8, 28, famous passage. Maybe you know it. Maybe you've never heard it. Check it out. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who, what does it say? Love him who have been called according to his purpose. If you love him and you want to want to be part of his purpose, there's a thing that God is like, he's cheering you on. He is working everything because listen, he knows that you live in a broken world. This verse means that every failure, every wound, every violation, every foolish act, every mistake, and all suffering can and will be used by God for your benefit and for God's purpose if you place it in his hands. If you'll decide to trust him, if you will believe in his goodness, if you'll understand that his goodness prevails, if you'll embrace gratitude, if you'll worship him in the middle of your pain and the struggle, there's something that is unlocked in your own soul. Now, if you turn away, if you get bitter, if you become hateful, if you choose cynicism and anger and you lash out and you reject God's goodness for you, I don't think it turns out very well. It's not great for you. But I can stand here in front of you as your pastor and say that even when you act like that, God's still going to try and find ways to work for your benefit for your goodness, for his goodness to show up in your life. He's going to try. He's going to try. He's going to be like, yep, Ross is really out of bounds here. This is really hard. This is really bad. Okay, let's, what can we do to help him get back on track? He's always doing that. He's trying. You can resist it or you can embrace it. You can thank him in the circumstances that are so difficult or you can reject him. Finally, the third practice for peace is think about what you think about. Think about what you think about because every toxic thought must be replaced. 
Every toxic thought must be replaced. Look at verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What an interesting thing Paul is telling us. He's like, think about these things. Dr. Mike Marino, PhD, a counselor, speaker, author of Freedom from Anxiety and Depression, he says, the science of psychology examines our thoughts and behaviors and their relationship. And he says, sometimes we have a tendency to minimize our thoughts and dismiss their effect on our well-being. We say or hear things like, that's all in your head. Or when it comes to battling anxiety and depression, it's so important for you to understand that your thoughts and thinking patterns really have a major role in shaping your struggle. They really do. Your thoughts can affect your physiology, your emotions, and your actions. He writes down four things that you've got to know about this. Your thoughts are powerful, is what he says. Your thoughts are powerful. And, and, and have you ever met, any, met anyone afraid of bees? We have people in our, in our house who are afraid of bees. And if a bee gets within like 10 feet, it's like freak out city. It's like, there's a bee, 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 there's a bee. It's like some of you are like that. It's just the thought that there's a bee. There might not even be a bee. And if there is, like, like you just, just freak out and there's a, there, your heart rate goes up, the fight or flight thing kicks in and suddenly your adrenaline's pumping and your heart's beating fast. I mean, that is the result of a thought. Your thoughts are powerful. The second idea he says is your thoughts lie. Especially during times of depression and anxiety, you think things aren't necessarily true in these moments. There's a, there's a sense at which you, you've got to evaluate. It leads us to the third idea, which is you don't have to believe every thought you have. What? What? You can evaluate your thoughts, decide if they're worthy. Everybody say worthy. You can decide if your thoughts are worthy of your time and attention and determine whether or not to believe them. Finally, every time you have a thought, your brain releases chemicals. We're all so advanced in 2019, we've all read about the chemicals. The amygdala, the, the part in your brain, there's all kinds of, play, we do, we've done all this research, it's incredible, but here's the point. You gotta understand there are physiological, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual implications from our thoughts. Your thoughts. They're important. There's an equation you've got to understand. Thoughts plus feelings equals action. Thoughts plus feelings equals actions. And here's why that's so important for you. Because belief always precedes behaviors. As God's people, you've got to settle this thing with thoughts and feelings. Brain research scientist Dr. Caroline Leaf is a Christian who's written an amazing book about the way we deal with toxic thoughts. It's called Switch on Your Brain. The key to peak happiness, thinking, and health. And see, she says, if you realize how powerful your thoughts are, you would never think a negative thought. Thoughts are real, physical things that occupy mental real estate. Moment by moment, every day, you're changing the structure of your brain through your thinking. When we hope, it's an activity of the mind that changes the structure of our brain in a positive and normal direction. Did you know the scriptures agree with her? 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive, captive to obey Christ. 
She continues, when you objectively observe your own thinking with the view to capturing rogue thoughts, you in effect direct your attention to stop the negative impact and rewire healthy new circuits in your brain. You can rewire the toxic thoughts. Now here's the problem. Your thoughts, your toxic thoughts, whatever's going on in you from history, from hurt, from anger, from disappointment, those thoughts don't just go away on their own. And you can't just work on getting rid of them. You have to replace them. How do you replace them? You replace them with scripture. You replace them with positive parental input, you, uh, you change them, you replace them with encouragement from your friends. And, and I want to I kind of identify for you this really powerful tool that Dr. Caroline Leaf has created. It's called 21daybraindetox.com. 21 day, some of you know about it. I have done this several times. It's a 21 day kind of approach to get rid of toxic ideas and, and replace them with healthy thoughts. And I, during my sabbatical in 2017, I was kind of, I, I, I had a bad loop in my mind about church, about one chapel, about where we were. I was discouraged. I was overwhelmed. I, 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 I was hurt. There was lots of stuff going on during that time. And, and it, there's no worse bummer than coming to church feeling like you're just like it's pointless and useless <laughs> it's really bad when the pastor does it <laughs> but I was there and that's sabbatical I worked through this process and I just want to encourage you all of us have moments where we've got to get our toxic thoughts and replace them with good thoughts and that's why the healthy habit of scripture reading every day is so powerful Let's return to the promise of our passage, verse seven, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying to this letter, this, these, these Philippians, he's saying, talk to God about everything because he loves you deeply. Thank God in every circumstance because you trust his creative sovereignty in your life. And think about what you think about. Get in the battle Get rid of these toxic thoughts. Replace them with other thoughts in every circumstance. And this peace of God, it transcends all logic, all scheming, any effort to explain it. And what God says is he takes responsibility. Like, think about this. When we offer thanksgiving in our circumstances, when we pray and talk to him about everything, he constructs, according to this word, verse, he constructs a fortress, a fortress around our hearts and our minds, protecting us from the attacks of the evil one. Close your eyes and bow your head. I want you, to, I want you just to prepare here. We're not going to come to the Lord's table today and really during this series. Each, each Sunday, we're going to spend a little time at the end of our service worshiping and letting peace come into our lives. Today, I want you, the band's going to come up here. They're going to worship. And I want you just to stay seated Right, like just stay seated. Just let we we move so fast. We're pushing. We're pulling. We're making stuff happen. I want you just to calm yourself. Listen to what the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. Take a moment to pray. Take a moment to acknowledge the toxic thoughts you've embraced and that are in control of your mind or your heart. 
Take a moment to thank God in this circumstance you find yourself in. Take a moment to pause. Tell him what's going on inside. And you don't have to say it too loud, but I just encourage you to like speak it out. As the band is kind of singing, leading us, there is only one who can touch your heart and life like this. He is the Prince of Peace. His name is Jesus. By his spirit, he can come and calm your anxious fears, your worries. Let him do that today. He's interested. He wants to. Look to him. Father, we just come to you and we, we open wide our hearts and we open our, our minds to you and our circumstances. As we just sit here and absorb your presence, come with your power, come with your authority, come with your truth. Let peace reign in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, you can learn about groups, teams, and more at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11. See you next time.